Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Um, but today we're going to be talking about um, a couple of different things. And I want to start off with, I'm going to be making a few proclamations with the Word of God. And I want you guys to participate. So when I say that, you guys need to step in, you know, because I'm going to start reading the verse and I want you to repeat after me, okay? So today we're going to start with our first proclamation. This is found in Matthew 24:14, And I'll give you guys a second to get there if you guys want. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and start. So this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end shall come. You guys are pretty good, but you guys need to warm up a little more. We already warmed up in worship, so you guys should be ready to go. But, but just keep warming because there's more coming. So, uh, Also, what I, what I would uh, just let you know is that there's going to be a lot of biblical references, so just be ready. You might be flipping through. Um, he's really interested in his bride, the body of Christ. He's really focused in on that. And as you guys know, you know, for thousands of years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he's all about the word of God going out and for gospel to be preached and people to be saved. Okay? And why is that? Because he's bringing them in to the body of Christ. He's making the bride ready. So... I was going to say something about that, but I'm going to skip that. And I want you to know that, you know, as, as you know, like some younger married couples are here today, you guys know when you were ready or getting ready to be married, there were a lot of preparations that had to be done. Okay? <laughs> Lots of preparations. And, you know, you're trying to figure out where you're going to live. You're trying to figure out, you know, what the job is going to be, how that's going to lead you into this new plan, you're putting it all together. But if you think about it, one of the most important things is the husband and wife coming together. And the body of Christ is called to be watching and waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. Okay? Let me read in Revelation 19.6, and this is where we'll start our scripture readings. This is not the proclamation, but we'll get to that later. But, and, uh, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Now, there's tremendous excitement in heaven, as you can tell from this verse. And uh, can you guys figure out, like, what the reason is for the excitement? Anybody? Can you guys read ahead? <laughs> Maybe you guys already read ahead. But the Lord omnipotent reigns, and let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. Why? Because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So that's why all heaven was excited, because there was a marriage that was going to take place. A marriage supper. The bride or the wife must make herself ready. And the preparations are actually described in verse 8. 
And it was granted to her to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. Now you can see right there in that verse the righteous acts of the saints. The bride of Christ is actually arrayed in that fine work. And we're going to get more onto that work and what that means. But when we first receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, His righteousness is imputed to us. But as we live for Him, it must be outworked in our lives. So it's not something that you're going to just start doing automatically, but as soon as you're saved, that work has begun in you. And the overflow of that is you sharing the gospel, you being the light to others. And even as Sam was introducing me, I'm reminded of people that get saved um, in different countries. I'm, I'm going to take the example of India. We recently had somebody at Voice of Christians get saved. And they just started sharing right in their community, their hometown. And this is like within 24 hours of being saved because it was such a marvelous conversion. And all of us have experienced that marvelous conversion, haven't we? Hasn't God just completely changed our lives? When we were steeped in sin, he pulled us out of that lifestyle and he changed us. And he has immediately taken us from death to life. He's taken us as we do with baptism. And I thought there was going to be one today. But as the baptism happens, we're going into the water, dying with Christ, being identified. And then we come out of the water and we are a new creation. And remember, baptism is not something that saves you. But it is to show everybody else that you have been changed. So I'm reminded of these people in India, and they get converted, and in the first week they're sharing with Hindus, with Muslims, and they're not well received, (laughs) you know? But the excitement is there. The Holy Spirit is working. And whosoever has an ear to hear, let them hear. And that's what we need to pray. We pray And the veil is lifted from people's eyes, the gospel is shared, and the good news goes forth, and people are changed. But, as I was saying before, this outward work that we continue is something that happens post-conversion. So, as we read in Matthew 5.16, which is the next verse, Jesus said, Let your light shine, so that all can see it. And, you know, a lot of times we often think that, We have to let our light shine. There's songs about it. Let your light shine. But if you continue reading, it says, let your light shine forth before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So our light shines through the good works that we perform. No good works and no light. And you know, that's the difference. That's the difference between the unbeliever's good works and the believer's good works. The believer's good works are going up as a memorial, and they're being stored up. And it's also light that goes out to other people so that they can be saved. Did you know when you walk into the body, when you walk into this congregation of us coming together, we see that there's a difference here, isn't there? Because we're saved, we're changed. We've been transformed by the work of Christ. 
So now, our outward work is all light shining to other men so that they can also be saved and come in. Remember, we're talking about the body of Christ and we're also talking about the bride. And her works are arrayed. And those works are the good works that we do upon upon the earth. Excuse me. All right, so we're at the second proclamation. And this is found in Titus 2. And it's 11 through 14. This is our longest proclamation, but be ready, okay? The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, And godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope. And glorious appearing of our God. And Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself up for us. That he might redeem us. From every every lawless deed. And purify for himself his own special people. And this is the clincher right here. Zealous for good works. So let me ask you guys a question. It's, it's all intro, you know, it's all internal. But this question, are you zealous? Are the works that you're being stirred up by the Holy Spirit, are you zealous for those works in your heart? Are you? So, Peter says in Second Peter uh, chapter 3, God is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering, suffer- not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean the whole world is going to get saved. We know that whoever, many are called, but few are chosen. And we also know that everyone does not receive. I mean, I'm going to give you an example. Do we all have households where people are unsaved? Even in our own homes, we have people that are not walking. And they actually, some, they actually despise us for believing in Christ. They mock the name of Jesus. People use the name of Christ as a swear word. You know? So, even though everyone is called to be saved, not everyone will be saved. And that's the difference. But as many as, as will be saved, God is willing to wait. He's willing to hold back everything that's happening. And at the same time, he's also got his eye on the bride as he continues to prepare his bride. So God is the one that orchestrates our lives, and he's the one that directs our steps. Now, As you guys know, when we get to heaven, there's going to be many people there. And some people are going to be there, and we're going to be surprised by them. We're going to be like, hey, you made it, you know. (laughs) And I'm sure Sam will be up there, you know, talking about me, you know. Hey, Asher, you finally made it. Barely, (laughs) you know. You know, but the truth is, we are going to be surprised. But let me ask you, is God ever surprised? There's nothing that surprises him. He knows each and every person by name. He has our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is the name, and actually, he's also got a new name for us, doesn't he? 
He has a new name which nobody knows except him and the Father. Did you know that even Jesus' name, there's a name written on the inside of his thigh? And you know, as the book of Revelation says, that his robe is dipped in blood. That's a symbol of what has changed us and cleansed us from our sins. So we thank you for that, you know. We thank our God who continues to do good works through us. But you have to also remember that these works are not only the works that he's imputed to us, but these are our own works. These are works that he has given us to do. You guys know that we are the body of Christ, and we are his hands and feet. We're the ones that are called to be Jesus to people. Now, we're not Messiah. We're not the Savior. Let me clarify. But I am telling you that when people see us, they should see Christ. They should be seeing the God that has saved us and changed us. So continuing on, we, I know I took a little bit longer turn, but let's continue forward with uh, 1 Timothy 3, and this is in verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of an overseer or a bishop, as you guys know the translations, he desires a good work. But these are some of the things that we're going to see. Those people that believe in Christ and are walking in his ways, these are the works that are going to follow him or her. An overseer must be blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, be sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable and able to teach, not given into wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in subjection with all reverence. So that there's, now we can see that this is the list of people that are saved. This is how we should all be living. These are some of the good works as outlined by Paul to Timothy. And you guys know that works are also for men and for women. It's universal. But also if we look at 1 Timothy 5, verse 9 and 10, he also talks about another work, and this is for the widows. He says, Christian widows that have been taken into the system by which the church is responsible. And what we see Paul say here is, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into a number and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has watched the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, diligently followed every good work. So in these two passages, we see that we have pretty good outline for the good works that men and women are called to do. Now, not every woman is called to be married, and not every woman is called to bear children with her husband. And it's the same for men as well. There are some men that are called that God has set them apart for himself. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be living holy lives. You notice these are the works, again, of the bride of Christ that are arrayed. And don't look at me when I do this, because I'm not the one. (laughs) I'm just part of the body, just like you. But, you know, the body of Christ is arrayed with these good works. 
All right, so it's time for our next proclamation, and this is in Philippians 1.6. Don't worry, this is a short one. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in us will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you guys for bearing with me for that. But looking at holiness, and I remember as we were led in the song with holiness, I was caught up. I'm like, the Lord is really speaking. And even when um, uh, Laura and Stella were leading in worship in the beginning, it was just me being just caught up with the message of what God is trying to say. So holiness is something that follows the body of Christ, doesn't it? But let me ask you this question. Can we have the body of Christ be holy apart from Christ himself? Okay. Do you guys see any examples in the body, uh, in the world of holiness apart from God? There are no other examples. Because the only one who's holy is God himself. There's nobody else that's holy. It's not us. It's not some celebrity. You know, none of that, none of that is holy. As a matter of fact, what we see are examples in the body of, or not in the body of Christ, but in the world are people that are very unholy. We can see a distinction. They are far from God, and they are far removed from the gospel. That doesn't mean they can't be saved, but it just means that they are, are showing us an example of unholiness. But Jesus is the one that calls us to be holy. He calls us to be in his presence. He calls us to exact good works upon the earth. And I know a lot of times that we get caught up with, don't do this, don't do that. We always tell people to focus in on what we shouldn't do. And in that regard, we're actually caught up on the negative side of good works. Because God hasn't called us to just sit there and throw out a bunch of rules, okay, left and right. As we know, if we read the Old Testament and the rules, the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shall not murder, thou shall not covet, thou shall not steal, you know, thank you, yeah. Those are all examples of things that we shouldn't do, and we get caught up in those things and get distracted. But God has called us to focus in and do those good works as an outward display of what he's done in us. So Proverbs 29:18 where there is no vision the people cast off restraint. And here the Hebrew word means something that's granted to you by God as a revelation as a vision. And it doesn't necessarily mean a physical vision, but it's talking about something that's driving us. We have a relationship with Christ all of us, don't we? Because we have a relationship with Christ, there is a stirring within us by the Holy Spirit as we delve into the Word of God, and He calls us to be holy. He calls us to good, to good works. Excuse me. And we try to follow these rules that are outwardly, but it becomes tiring. And a lot of times people actually give up because... The church has become a place of many rules and regulations. 
and it's become an outward expression of being religious. But there's what's lacking in the body of Christ a lot of times is that deep and affectionate relationship with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So because we try to follow those rules, God is calling us to be holy and set apart and not focus on those rules. Now, I I do know, I have to say this, but I know we live in a world where the body of Christ is split between grace and works. And some, some churches and some people are totally focused on works, doing things, the activity. And then some people are all about works. I mean, all about grace. And it's all about, hey, you don't need to worry. God's grace has got you. It's okay. Everything will be okay. But there, we have to find that balance in between because there's a correlation of grace and good works. And we have to walk that balance as we navigate our relationship with Christ. So in Ephesians 5, Paul speaks of this relationship with Christ and his church. And it's a marriage relationship. And I believe that's where God's heart is. It's, his, it's this relationship with his bride. And this is found in Ephesians 5.25. And you guys know this verse well. I'm pretty sure you've read it many times. But husbands, love your wives just as Christ has also loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it would be holy and without blemish. So if you see here, we can see the focus on Jesus' whole ministry is to present to himself what? The church as a bride, holy and blameless. And that focus that Jesus has is that ministry of him presenting that bride to himself. So I want to turn to Second Chronicles 7, and this is in uh, verses 1 and 2. Now in the New Testament, they're using the word doxa, which is used in the Old Testament in a different way. And I wanted to just kind of look at where that change came from. But the reason is because God's glory, which is the Hebrew word kabod, and doxa in Greek means the impact of God upon our physical senses. That's the relationship. God is looking at this. He's giving us this experience that we have, and it's something that can be felt. So even today, as we were worshiping, before I started talking, we were in the presence of God, and you notice the glory of God is there because the Spirit of God is within us, and it's stirring us up. So... When we go through that experience, it's something more than just something that we think in our minds, something that we can see, something that we can taste, touch, or smell. But it is something that encompasses all of us. It's something that is deeper. In fact, it is a relationship that we have that's found in our hearts, isn't it? Don't you have a relationship with God in the most intimate place? Don't we live our lives and we go to sleep? Some of us are married. But when we go to sleep, we are laying, going to sleep, but at the same time, we are still with God in our hearts. We have that relationship where we're constantly communing with him, day and night. 
This is the most secret and the most intimate place that God has made. And I want to ask you guys, are you walking in that relationship with God? Did you know that that relationship with God is actually going to take you into the presence of God? I'm reminded of a friend who recently lost his mother. And I was was at the hospital. She was laying there, and she was surrounded by family. And she couldn't say a word. People were trying to talk to her. People were trying to get some words in because obviously her hearing is working. But she was there laying there, and she was just her and God. Because she couldn't talk, she couldn't eat anything. And she actually stayed in the hospital without eating, without drinking, for over two weeks. And her family's visiting every day. Sometimes they're taking breaks, they got to go eat something. They have to change shifts, you know, because they have to be there all the time. But as she's laying there, the Lord showed me a picture that our transition from life to the next life, I'll say, not death. But our transition is a very intimate and personal thing that we all will experience. That's where we're going to be alone. We're not going to be with our spouse at the moment unless something happens like that. But for the most part, that transition to eternity with God is going to be one where it's just you and him. There's nobody else. The Spirit of God, however that works, I'm not familiar with life after, but however that works, our spirit will join Christ and we'll be united with him. And that's what happened with this, with this woman, this mother of mine, is that she went into eternity, but it was a very personal, intimate thing that she went into alone. So let's continue on. So as we look at... Uh, Worship, and as we look at holiness, this holiness that God has called us to, uh, I want to quote from Hebrews chapter 12, and this is in verse 10. Uh, and it's talking about earthly parents and fathers. But the writer of Hebrew says this For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, God for us, uh, but he, God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So remember, when God disciplines us, he's asking you to respond, but he wants to make you more capable to be able to partake his holiness. And even as I was worshiping today, I was thinking, and I was looking at my kids just for a second, and I thought about this. You know, my kids, they love Jesus, but they're not able to enter in in the same way that I do. And it's the same for every one of us, isn't it? We have gone through some things in our lives, haven't we? We've gone through hard things where God has put us on our knees, where even as I was looking at Laura, she was on her knees worshiping God. So there is a degree of worship and holiness that people are walking in that is deeper for others because they've gone through things. And a lot of us have gone through things. A lot of us, and my children, you know, they haven't gone through as many things right now, but their lives are ahead of us, and God is going to take them through their own set of challenges. 
But who is there with us throughout all those challenges? It's Jesus. He's always with us. And he's never going to leave us, even as I talked about earlier. So we become partakers of his holiness, and he continues to call us on our knees when we walk through difficulty, trials, tribulations, even as I uh, hear the testimonies of many saints from across the world and how they got saved. Some of them were about to be stoned. Some of them were about to be thrown in prison. They're about to be taken. Some young girls are about 12, 13, are about to be married to a 30, 40-year-old Muslim man, forced into marriage, and then forced into conversion to Islam. But as you encounter those things, this is where God is walking with us. And even though you're alone, you're separated from your family, you're no longer with your friends, you're no longer at the school that you used to go to, but who is there with us? It's Jesus. Jesus is there with us through these situations, whether through the hard and difficult times or whether through us walking through fire. So I want to give you guys a glimpse of this holiness. Let's look at Isaiah 6. And this is in the first eight verses. And it's funny, Isaiah described, and I love this, this verse, the way it starts. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, I'm not sure if that's his, the name there, Yahweh, is the proper way to say it. But if we continue reading, it says that he's high and lifted up, sitting on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. And the word seraph directly is related to the word fire. Did you guys know that? That's awesome. Seraphim is also a Hebrew word for fire. So wherever you see holiness in the scriptures, I can, I can guarantee there's fire, some kind of fire there. <laughs> it's not the fire of the barbecue, okay? But it is fire. I'm also reminded of a friend that always talks, and he's praying, you know, on our prayer calls at night, because uh, Voice of Christians does a prayer call every night at 8 p.m. In the world, people join from across the world on Zoom. But I'm always reminded of him, because he'll be talking, let the fire of you, Lord, fall. You know, he's always talking about the fire just falling. But if you look at the, uh, the seraphim, those are fiery creatures, and they stood there. And some of them had actually... Each one had six wings, the two he covered with his face, the two he covered with his feet, and the two he flew with. And if you look at the distribution of activity, the two that covered the face, that's worship. The two that covered their feet, that's worship. And the two that flew are service. So in heaven, as you can see, there's twice as much emphasis on worship as there is on service. Now, how is it over here on the earth? Is it the same? Like, do we have a lot of worship going on? No. We barely make, you know, 15, 20 minutes of singing four or five songs. You know, sorry, I don't mean nothing against. But, you know, we get, we get tired of the worship time, you know. But, you know, in heaven it's not like that. They don't get tired and weary from singing. <laughs> they're in the presence of God and they're just singing holy, holy, holy. Let me ask you guys something. Have, has Jesus become too familiar with us? 
Because if we look at heaven, it seems like those seraphim and those other magnificent beings, some have that, that are just covered with eyes that are way more obscure than we can ever imagine. Are those beings like getting tired and weary? <laughs> They're not. They're not tired at all, you know. They just keep saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So that's the theme. It's not monotonous. The holiness of God is something that's so awesome, so glorious, that it can never be monotonous. And I want you guys to work on this relationship with Christ as you go today. Think about this relationship with Christ, and I want you to shift it. Stop getting used to the name Jesus. Stop getting like it's just another household name, okay? You guys know there's many names that float around in our houses, from celebrities to people we see in sports. Those names are all over. But why has Jesus' name become so familiar in our lives? We shouldn't be so familiar that it's become monotonous, that it's become boring for us to say his name. We need to be walking a life and a relationship where his name is holy, his name is pure, It's above, as the worship song said, every other name, every other throne, every other dominion, power, principality. It's the name that goes before and continues even after our time on the earth is gone. You know, I'm also reminded of another song. And uh, some of the words go like this. You know, I'm looking for the one, the one who is from before who doesn't have a beginning, and he doesn't have an end. He's seeking out in the song this, this man. And what's his name? Jesus Christ. So, as we continue our relationship with Christ, let us not get used to the name of Christ. Something that we are familiar with and something that we're bored with. And if we look at Isaiah in that chapter, in, in chapter 6, This is the response when he sees the thrones, when he sees God. He says, behold, I am because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amid a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And this is that's what Job says. Well, actually, that's what uh, Isaiah says. Yes. All right. So I also want to actually go to. Uh, the book of Job, and reference the response that Job has. Uh, And you guys know this is the response that Job has after he has his 40, 50 chapters of lamenting, (laughs) where he doesn't know what has happened and he wants an answer. And even when he's talking to his friends, his family members, he's sitting there and he's like, I'm tired of you guys. You guys don't have any answers. I'm done. I I just want to talk to him. I just want to make my case with him. He's the one that I need to see. I need need my appointment with God. (laughs) That's what he wants. So I'm going to read this to you guys. And I'm, I'm briefly, purposefully holding this back because it just struck me. It's so powerful. It's so 
life-changing that there are no words for it. But this is what it says. Just paraphrase what Job says. Job basically says to God, Lord, I was waiting for you, but now that I've seen you, I'm undone. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing that I can say. You are the one who is who's God, and I am not. That's basically what he says. And I'm so surprised by that, that that's his response. And then God goes on to say, and he uh, corrects all his friends and family. And then he restores, um, he restores Job's previous inheritance and his riches and everything that he had. Now, what's interesting there during the restoration with Job is that Job doesn't get, he gets a double portion of everything, the riches, the houses, the land, everything that he had. He gets a double portion, but he does not get a double portion of children. He gets the same amount of children that he had. It's interesting. And the reason he gets the same amount of children is because God was already using Job when he was interceding for his children. He was presenting uh, alms and sacrifices to God daily just in case his children had sinned. So he ends up just restoring the same amount of children. And actually, one of my oldest children, uh, Kezia, my number one, um, and my wife, Rebecca, of course. (laughs) But her name actually comes from the book of Job, chapter 42, uh, verse 14. So let's continue forward in Hebrews 12, uh, verse 10. When we were reading that God continues to uh, chasten us, those that he loves. The reason he chastens us is because we are partakers of his holiness. So remember, a lot of times God will discipline us, and he will change things in our lives. He'll bring pressures to our lives because he's walking us through something, and he wants us to come out of something. Even now, this year, 2024, There's been challenges already, right? We're in the first month. There's already crazy things going on in the world. You guys know. And who knows what lies at the end of 2024 in November, (laughs) you know. But there's a lot of craziness out in the world. But God is still walking us through those challenges. And he's walking us by hand. And as we walk our relationship with Christ, that relationship should be one where We are steeped in prayer, steeped in deep worship with God. And, of course, one of the primary things that we need to have is a meditating and reading of the word daily. Meditating on his word daily. A lot of times, sometimes we don't even have time throughout the day for us to spend time with the Lord. And we should just take those moments in the day, in the morning, and in the evening, to meditate on God's word, to spend time in his presence. He's calling us to be holy, and he's calling us to that relationship with Christ, one that is pure and uninhibited. So as we close, I want to quote to you guys something, and this is something from, uh, you guys know the, uh, the writer John Bunyan? And I sent this out earlier uh, to somebody as a text. 
John Bunyan actually says that we are walking through trials and tribulations, and those trials and tribulations are not so far off that God is not with us. He is continuing to walk with us through thick and thin, and the literal meaning that he uses for this walking together with God is one that's always in an attitude of worship. So as I close, I want to close with this with you guys. And this is in Hebrews 12, uh, in verse 14. And after that, I'm going to also read Hosea 17. Uh, But pursuing peace with all men, with holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And continuing on in Hosea 17, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And in Chronicles 16, verse 29, it says, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So as we close today, I want you guys to see that this relationship is not something that we can do on our own. It's something that's dependent wholly on Christ. And it is a relationship that we also have to walk with one another. So a lot of times I've run into people that will say, well, this is my relationship with Christ. It has nothing to do with you. But did you guys know it, 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 we need a community of believers for us to walk together? If one of us sees somebody else in sin, shouldn't we call that out? Shouldn't we say something? Shouldn't we go to our brother or sister and call them to repent and walk with them as they come out of it? That's what God is looking for. He's waiting for us to walk with others and also be able to have them walk with us and, and live this relationship with him. So the body of Christ, as you know, is a, is a body that's holy and focused on Jesus and his coming. So what I want to do is just close in prayer, and I think Elder Sam was going to come up, and I think that's a, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so what I want to do is close in prayer, and I appreciate you guys just bearing with me as I lost my notes and everything. (laughs) So let's close. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you that the body of Christ, Lord, is indeed the body that you've called, Lord, to be holy and pure. And this bride is preparing herself, Lord, for the coming, that great day of the Lord Jesus Christ. One that we are eagerly awaiting. As we see the parable in the New Testament of the virgins, we see five virgins that are foolish and five that are wise. Those that have prepared They have trimmed their lamps, they have filled their lamps with oil, and they are watching and waiting. And Lord Jesus, even as now, Lord, we see many people in the world, Lord, that are suffering, that are going through intense tribulation and trials, Lord. Lord, even us, Lord, we're going through anxieties and depressions and pressures from work, from life, from family. Lord Jesus, even amidst those things, Lord, you've called us to be holy. 
You've called us to be like you, Lord. You've called us to be in your presence, Jesus. For us to walk in holiness. So, Lord Jesus, we pray, Lord, as we close, Lord, today. That if there are any, Lord, here that are not saved, Lord. We pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would lift the veil from their eyes. And show them that this great and glorious time is coming. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That time when we are going to be in this fellowship with you eternally. Lord Jesus, and for now, Lord, we have to prepare, Lord. So, Lord, we pray for those that are not saved, Lord. If any that are not saved, Lord, I pray that you would call them by your Holy Spirit to repent of their sins and turn and see the truth of the gospel, that that you died for them, that you rose, and now you're seated on the throne of grace. So we praise you, Lord. We love you. Lord, be with each and every person here. Lord Jesus, lead us, Lord. Guide us this week, Lord. Speak to us in dreams and visions, Lord. Speak to us, Lord, as only you can, Lord, in that most intimate place in our hearts, Lord, where we are alone with you in the garden, Lord, where we have fellowship with you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We love you. We thank you that you love us, Lord, and that you care for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Asha. Appreciate your message. When I am weak, that's when he's strong. So I, I know somebody was touched by that message. If you wasn't, I definitely was. So I thank God for him. Because we do need to have a relationship with God where we walk in holiness and godliness. And I thank God that in this day and age, we definitely need People need to see Christ in us. So thank you, Asher, for that. Amen. Give him a clap. That's it. Give him praise. Amen. Could we have a prayer team come up? And those of you who need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, they'll be up here to help you and walk you through that. Don't leave out of here without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the most important decision you can make in your life. I remember when I made that decision, I was at Cherryport, North Carolina, going through basic training. And basic training in the Marine Corps would drive you to Jesus. I'll tell you that now because it drove me to Jesus. And I didn't know nothing. But I said, Lord, in my mind, I said, if I do not pick him, choose him, I have lost everything. But if I pick him, I haven't lost anything. I knew the devil had me then, so I didn't have anything to lose. And I came forward and gave my life to Christ. I said, God, this Jesus who this preacher is talking about, if he's real, I want him to be real in my life. Make him known to me. And from that point on, I became a Christian, didn't know it, and God began to change me. Began to change right then and there. I've never been the same. So I thank God for your message. Because it bears fruit of having a relationship with God where your life will be changed. And it's not just do's and don'ts. It's a relationship where the Holy Spirit helps you to walk this down. Do not struggle with the do's and don'ts. But if you are struggling, we got people up here to pray for you. All right?
Will everybody please stand? Let me, me release you with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go in peace today. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.